This is No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. I want to thank you for finding us again, No Stop Lights. I want to begin by thanking our sponsors, Pepsi of Florence, Carolina Bank, Mickey Finns, Marlboro PD Electric Co-op, Francis Marion, University McLeod Health, McCall Farms, Victors, PLC Commercial. All those folks are, are very locally oriented businesses, very supportive of our local economy, our, our local indulgences, uh, trying to advance the community in one of the fastest growing, maybe the fastest growing state in all of America. We have pledged uh, for this not to be an extension of our early morning radio show. Um, we, we're trying to focus and concentrate more on some of the local and regional issues. But as we head off into 2024, I think it's undeniable that the the, the lion's share uh, political news coverage and, and this really, I mean, politics touches every facet of our lives. If you choose uh, to believe that or not, that doesn't really matter. I mean, it is what it is, and politics is a part of all our, our daily lives. Some people, it gets in their blood. They become enamored with it. They become almost consumed by it, obsessed with it. Others I call the Seinfeld watcher. I don't think they're oblivious to it. I don't think they're naive about the the relationship their lives have with with politics. It's not very interested. Um, have convinced themselves that they have very little to do with the outcome of an election, uh, what the statute says, what the ordinance implies, uh, what they should do to support, what they should do um, to be opposed to. Uh, and it's 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 a lot of work, and it's abstract and it's squishy, and a lot of people choose to not involve themselves as much once again we're trying to utilize no stoplights as a conduit a, a vessel a vehicle uh, an information source to discuss some of the issues that are very profound in our local economy in our region in our state in our area it won't always be politics but the majority will be politically centric i think it's um once again undeniable that in a presidential year, the presidential politics tends to dominate. Everything kind of runs downstream from there. So we'll put our, our hyper and laser focus on our local economy, our regional um, issues and stories on the on the side for just a, a few moments. And we'll dedicate, you know, a short podcast today. We're just getting back uh, in the groove here at the beginning of 2024 uh, but I, I do, I think it, we'd be remiss and derelict in our duty if we didn't spend some time kind of framing the presidential debate. Uh, if you're in the state house, it matters who the, the president is. If you're in local government, it matters who the president is. If you're involved in economic development, it matters who the president is. If you're an energy provider, I'm looking at Marlboro PD Electric Co-op, one of the great, great ambassadors of the PD area and South Carolina in general, but they care. I mean, they, they care tremendously about the state house and state politics and where we stand on affordable and reliable energy. But there's no denying that that a company like Marlboro PD Electric Co-op cares tremendously about who's in charge of the EPA, uh, who are who are promoting or, or advocating for energy legislation. And um, and, you know, the you heard the golden rule, those with the gold rules and. Washington tends to have more gold uh, than anyone. So I want to I want to kind of frame this as concisely and precisely as I can. I have politically, by and large, been motivated and formed my opinions based on gut and instinct. Um, that's dangerous 
but it's the way I've done it. I've been, I've been right a lot. I've been wrong a lot. Um, I don't profess to have the secret recipe or magic potion uh, to what happens in in the body politic from one to the other. I have my my beliefs, my opinions. Uh, very often, my beliefs and opinions are confirmed by my suspicion, my hunch, my instinct. Sometimes I find myself believing something but not have affirmation from the instinct. Uh, you know, I wish this were true, but my gut says it's not. Um, I wish this were going to happen, but my instinct says it's probably um, not the case. I've made no bones about it. Um, I was probably an America firster before the America first phenomenon hit the political scene. Um Grew up in the era of neoconservatism. Probably uh, walked to the beat of the neoconservative drum a little bit blindly and a little bit um, unfounded loyalty I felt I owed to the establishment-oriented GOP that kind of formulated itself after the the end of the Second World War. Along came neoconservatism, military-industrial complex, American imperial, whatever. I mean, it, it was a it was kind of a, a globalist mindset, uh, more of an interventionist mindset. Along comes America first, and it, it creates a great deal of contrast, and and it gave Republicans like like yours truly. Um, something to chew on other than some of the neoconservatism, some of the globalism, some of the um, uh, the, the anti-interventionism, and, and I like where we're headed. I mean, I, I genuinely do. I understand those who don't. I mean, I certainly respect that decision. Um, I, I certainly respect the decision that, that, that many of you have made about the feelings you have in relation to America first, but you ain't real crazy about this guy that is the, um, I guess, the charter member or, or the, the the embodiment, the manifestation of voter frustration that led us down a different road. Um, Trump wins in 2016. I'd like to, 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 to believe I saw this coming a little earlier than most did. The strain of populism, anti-intervention, anti-globalist mindset that it kind of permeated the party. Um, the, the, the GOP voter had historically toyed around with the idea of populism. Pat Buchanan, uh, Rand Paul, to some degree, would be more of a libertarian. Um, Ross Perot would have been a kind of a quirky, unique ah, example of, of populism. And I've never argued that populism is indeed a coherent governing philosophy. I've, I've rather argued it's a it's an undeniable political passion. It's a force. It's um it's a it, it once again it, it's like a wildfire. Uh, you know how do you harness it? I don't know if you could. You'd have something uh, on your hands. But but I think the sustainability of America First is very much in play in this next uh, presidential election. Trump wins in 16. He loses in 2020. Um, some were deeply surprised, unbelievably surprised by him winning in 16. Some were equally as disappointed. Uh, and then the scenario flips in 2020 during COVID. Some pretty unusual voting circumstances, um, some pretty unusual statistical anomalies. I'll leave it there. I've never been one to say the election was stolen. Uh, I've simply said there are a lot of things as a student of politics that I can't explain, and I'll just leave it there. As someone who has dedicated uh, a pretty good percentage of the last 20 years of his life 
to better understanding the science and art of politics, not just gut and instinct, but rather the analytics and data. There are statistical anomalies that happened in 20 that I can't explain. I'll just leave it there. Off to 2024 we go. Where, where do we land or where do we stand in the first week of January in regards to the 2024 presidential election? The national polling, I looked this morning in Real Clear Politics, the RCP average, and I'll have to refer to my notes here, the RCP average has Trump at 63% in the GOP primary. He is the overwhelming favorite, not just the odds on favorite to win the Republican primary. He's the overwhelming favorite uh, to win the primary. He has a vice grip on the on the GOP. Some like it, some don't like it. I get it. I understand it. Um, everybody doesn't like vanilla ice cream. Everybody doesn't like uh, chocolate or strawberry ice cream. But right now, the majority of GOP primary voters have said loudly and clearly Trump is um, their guy. On the Democrat side, you've got Joe Biden, current president, current front runner in the GOP primary. He's at 69%. So Trump at 63% in the GOP primary, Biden at 69% in the uh, in the Democrat primary. Where do we go from there? Well, I mean, my, my gut and instinct says a lot of things. And I listen to my gut and instinct. But, but let's go through some data because I think this really matters um, as we head off into into 2024. Joe Biden's job approval ratings are, are minus 17. Uh, historically, when you're in excess of minus 15, you got problems. I mean, your approval's here, your, your disapproval's there. Uh, disapproval starts out pacing approval, um, and the honeymoon is over, and Joe Biden's approval rating is 17 points underwater. Another important and indicative number is the wrong and right track. Um, those people who believe America's on the right track juxtaposed to those who believe America's on the wrong track. Joe Biden is minus 43 on that, no, on that number. Th those are bad numbers. I mean, it doesn't matter if Donald Trump or Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy or Chris Christie. Uh, the Republican is going to have a distinct advantage if the data and analytics are historically um, acknowledging. In other words, if history is an indicator, when the job approval rating of a sitting president is underwater by 17 percentage points, he's got hell on his hands. When the right track, wrong track number is inverted, in other words, the overwhelming majority of Americans believe we are on the wrong track. When that number's north of 35, 36, 37, you've got problems. Biden's number is minus 43. Here's the way uh, I think the majority of odds makers have handicapped this. And once again, it's uh, I don't think it's legal to bet on American elections in America, but there's some London uh, betting houses that have put forth some, some odds. So, so these are, once again, instant gut analytics data. The data says that as we speak, now anything can happen, and we'll get into that in just a bit, but as we speak, the data says that Donald Trump has roughly – Give me a little leeway here. Roughly a 40% chance of getting elected president of the United States. I didn't say winning the Republican nomination. Donald Trump, as we sit today, has roughly a 40% chance to become president 
of the United States in November 2024. Joe Biden has a 30% chance, roughly, give or take a percentage point. I'm rounding off here for argument's sake. Biden has about a 30% chance to get elected president of the United States, and other candidates have about a 30% chance. Now, what, what does that mean? Other has 30%. Well, I mean, you've got, you've got indictments, you've got trials, you've got an impeachment inquiry, you've got, uh, you know, job approval and wrong track, right track numbers that, that are not very encouraging for a Republican, or excuse me, a Democrat incumbent president. So, you know, Trump at 40%, Biden at 30%, but, but the likelihood of another candidate not named Trump nor Biden is about 30%. That's a big number as we head into the election year. Probably wouldn't be a big number if it was last January, but being this January, that number's still as high as it is. In other words, the odds makers believe there's roughly a one in three chance that neither Donald Trump nor Joe Biden will be sworn in as president in January of 2025. I don't buy that. I mean, I, I accept that that is a numerical reality, but I still believe that the next president will be either Joe Biden, current president, or Donald Trump, former president. So, so what other numbers matter to me? Uh, I'm, I'm not a handicapper. I'm not a strategist. I'm not a consultant. I'm not a, I'm not a pollster. I'm a dude with a radio show and a podcast. The, the one thing I have done is, is I've run for office, and I've trusted my gut and instinct uh, you know, in, 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 in conjunction with some data and analytics. And up until now, I've never lost an election. So, so that's, you know, take it for what it's worth. Take it for what it's worth. I'm kind of proud of that. I've been good at winning elections, just not real good at holding on um, to the elections. Kind of Seinfeld episode. You're good at taking the reservation. You have trouble holding on to the reservation. I've been damn good at getting elected, not so good at holding on to the job that I got elected for. Here's some other numbers that I think matter. And this is the first election since the 2020 census. So Donald Trump in 2020, during the COVID election, and we know lock boxes, excuse me, um, uh, drop boxes and um, unsolicited mail-in ballots and chain of custody. You've heard some of the arguments I've heard. Doesn't matter. Joe Biden won the election. He was certified the winner and the loser, Donald Trump, had 232 electoral college uh, votes. That today turns into 235. How does 232 turn into 235? Well, Texas picked up some seats. Florida picked up some seats. Now, conversely, Ohio lost a seat. Um, some of that, but but anyway, the Republican Trump Biden 2020 rematch is what I'm focused on, and. 232 in 2020 becomes 235 in 2024 if Trump holds serve. If he wins every state he won in 20, loses every state he lost in 24 or in 20, once again, 230 turns into 235. Here's what I think is important. Here's what I think is really, um, we, we, we talked about it, I think we're, we're convinced of it, but I don't know that we understand how big a deal this is. I think this is the first election that a president of the Republican Party, a presidential candidate with an R beside his name, can not be very concerned about Florida or Ohio. 
I, I just believe that. I think Florida is red. Ohio is red. It's not as red as Wyoming. It's not as red as Montana. It's not as red as South Carolina. But damn it, it's red. I mean, it's red. And, and, and the Republican nominee, who I expect to be Trump, will not have to spend a lot of resources in Florida or Ohio. That's 47 electoral college votes. Uh, that's a big number. Florida went from 29 and 20 to 30. Um, they picked up one. Now, uh, Ohio lost one. They were at 18. They're now at 17. Um, and, and I want to do a podcast in the not-too-distant future about the, the, the net migration gains of red states at the expense of blue states that will be reflected in the 20. 30 census. That's going to be post-COVID. We saw a mass exodus of, of major American cities in blue states uh, during the COVID lockdown and you know, the, the, the aggressive nature of which some of those liberal governments uh, went about their business. I don't want to make this liberal and conservative, but the, I mean, the reality is red states are gaining population. Blue states are buying large, losing population. It won't have that much of an impact in this election, but I predict it will after the 2030 census. In fact, I mean, I'll make an argument, 232 that Trump won in 20, 235 in 2024 if he holds serve. I think the, the, the Republican nominee in 2032 will be looking at about a 244 uh, vote starting spot if they hold serve. I think 232 turns into 244. Maybe forty three, but I think it'll be it'll be forty. We'll, we'll we're jumping the gun. I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves when we do that. So if two thirty two turns into two thirty five, how does Donald J. Trump get a two seventy? Here's how he gets to two seventy, and that's the only number that matters. National polling matters. It's fun to keep up with, but swing states, the Seinfeld watcher, in about six or seven states, to the tune of roughly one hundred twenty five thousand people, that's going to decide who the president of the United States is. So Georgia. Gwinnett and Fulton County were a part of the statistical anomalies that I try to explain, and I could go as deep in the weeds as you want to go, but but I, I don't want to do that. I want to kind of stay focused on uh, the election itself. Georgia's 16 um, electoral college votes went to Joe Biden in 2020, and that caught a lot of people off guard. There's some insiders that saw that coming. Heavy African-American vote in Gwinnett and Fulton County, um, heavier than we've ever seen. In some of those precincts, you had historical averages of 69, 70, 71% turnout. I mean, they were above 85. I mean, 86, 87% turnout. I'm going to make a prediction right now that Georgia's not in play. Now, I'm not the expert. I'm not the arbiter of truth. I'm a guy with, a, with, with an opinion. You've got an opinion. A lot of people have opinions. But I think the Georgia General Assembly aggressively addressed some of the issues they believe created the statistical anomalies in um, the state of Georgia. So if 235 turns into 251, and that's Trump winning Georgia, which I'm making a prediction today, it's not going to be a swing state. I mean, it's not 60-40. Once again, it's not Wyoming. It's not Montana. It's not South Carolina. you got to go there and work your ass off to win that state. But I think the Georgia General Assembly 
address some of the issues that led to the big surprise on election morning 2020 when we had just unbelievable percentage of turnouts in Gwinnett and Fulton County. So if Trump comes out the gate, and I'm being generous, but I'm not being Homer. I'm trying to be reasonably objective, but, I, but I, I'm trying to paint, I guess, a pretty positive picture here because I'm a Republican and I want the Republican to win. If Trump doesn't have to fight tooth and nail in Florida, if he doesn't have to fight for his life in Ohio, that means he can go to Georgia. And I think the General Assembly has helped him a great deal uh, in Georgia by making the election more secure. Just leave it there. That means Trump's got 251. That's 19 shy of 270. The, the other states that I think matter and we'll pay close attention to as we work through the primaries, as we work through some of the generals, is Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, Wisconsin, and Michigan. 61 electoral votes up for grabs in those five genuinely, sincerely swing states. And I'm not including Virginia because I think Virginia is blue. I'm not including North Carolina because I think North Carolina is red. Could North Carolina flip? Of course it could. I don't think it will, but it could. Could Virginia flip? It could. I don't think it will. You've got a heavy, a heavy bureaucratic government working population in Northern Virginia. And if you're running uh, to keep government as big as you possibly can and you're a bureaucrat, uh, you, you kind of have a self-loyalty. I mean, there's a self-preservationist aspect of the voters in Northern Virginia. They're going to vote for the Democrat because the Democrat doesn't run on limited government, smaller government, smaller budgets, um, fewer employees. I mean, to grow government is good for Northern Virginia. If I lived in Northern Virginia and worked for the federal government, I'd probably have a Biden bumper sticker on the back of my car. I'm willing to say that, uh, for a, kind of a self-preservationist. So I've left North Carolina out, and I'm giving that to Trump. I've left Virginia out. And I'm giving that to Biden. Um, I'm I'm a little I'm a little bullish on Georgia as a Republican. I'm probably a little more bullish than most. Uh, some of the experts will say no. I mean, the heavy African American population. I mean, they, they revealed themselves in 2020. They'll come back in 24 and support Joe Biden. There, there's some there's some data out there that that Democrats are alarmed by some softening of African-American minority support in general, African-American and Hispanic support is normally being kind of through the roof for Democrats. That seems to be changing in particular uh, in the, in the Hispanic community. So, so, so what are the, what are the oddities of this election? What, what will be the central features of this campaign between, and it's a rematch. It's a weird rematch. A guy wins president, loses, runs against the guy that beat him. I mean, that, that's, that's odd. That's very different. This makes it even more odd. In the middle of an election, we'll probably have some indictment hearings. I mean, we've got obstruction charges. We've got, uh, we've got meddling in election charges. We've got falsifying business record charges. We've got uh, mishandling classified information charges. Do they matter? Of course they matter. I mean, you can't have all those charges, all those indictments, all those shenanigans without believing it. I think the Trump voter that believes that that doesn't matter at all is 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 far too loyal to the cause. If you're an America Firster, it's going to matter. I mean, there's no doubt about it. To what degree? Don't know. Don't have any idea. Um, the Donald Trump campaign will be central to the indictment. In fact, some of the legal proceedings I predict will be the campaign. Up until now, they've helped Trump. 
I mean, you know, the data's clear. When Trump gets indicted, his numbers go up. When Trump, when, when they raid Mar-a-Lago in the middle of the night, men with guns, the, his numbers go up. Bad day for Ron DeSantis. I can't explain that. I don't have any idea why that's the case. But the American electorate have responded in a way that I, the American electorate historically has not responded. When, when a candidate gets in trouble with law, it's normally bad. Donald Trump's the, 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 the anomaly. He's the, he's the outlier. Donald Trump has trouble with law enforcement or government agencies, and Donald Trump becomes more popular. I mean, that's undeniable. You can like that. You can think it's crazy. You can call it a cult or some sort of mental illness. On the other side, you say Trump derangement syndrome. The truth is when Donald Trump has problems with the law and government agencies, and I'm talking about the FBI, uh, the Department of Justice, his numbers increase. He becomes more popular. He becomes a more um, dominant political figure. So, 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 yes, I do believe that the Hunter Biden impeachment inquiry, the Joe Biden um, family, you know, the, um, the loan repayments, the paper trail of loan repayments where there's no paper trail of loans that exist. I mean, that's odd, you know, but, but, but once again, um, the Democrats will do the best they can to explain that. The Republicans will do the best they can to wade through all of these indictments. I don't believe the impeachment inquiry nor the indictments will, will be the key features or factors in what motivates people to vote. Here's what I believe will motivate voters. You ready? Inflation and immigration. Inflation and immigration. I, you know, the, the average person, the average family, the average man and woman with two kids uh, going to church on Sunday, going to ball game on Saturday, uh, trying to live their lives to the best of their ability to make their money stretch as far as it can to be responsible, good, and, and decent American citizens. I don't know how much concern they have with the impeachment inquiry or the indictments when the bag of groceries that cost them $40 pre-COVID cost them $80 today. And and I and I do believe that the the body politic will be forced to deal with immigration in some way, shape, or form. We've had this debate on the radio about the Republican Party being anti-immigration, and I don't buy that. I don't I don't think the independent voter buys that. Um, what's happening on our southern border should be the biggest offense to Ellis Island. Because you, you hear this a lot. We're a nation of immigrants. We are. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We were, uh, I mean, the Statue of Liberty says it. The French gave the statue. I don't want to quote it verbatim, but, uh, you know, uh, hey, all are welcome. And here's opportunity. And it's, it's the best, it's the greatest show on earth, and we'd love you to be a part of it. But, but Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty embody and represent law and order. There's a lawful and orderly way to immigrate to America, to assimilate as Americans. And historically, we have encouraged that. We have celebrated that. We have applauded those who come through Ellis Island, who become American citizens, who assimilate, who, who, who share common values and views and commit to be a good and productive member of the U.S. citizenry and economy. That's not what we're having on the southern border, and there's no way in hell the Democrats can sell it. I mean, there's just no way that they're trying to argue that this is, you know, this is immigration, and the the Republicans are anti-immigration. That that's just not the case. I mean, that that will not sell. Trust me. I I've got no idea what the average American thinks of the impeachment inquiry. I've got no idea what the average American thinks of indictments. But put stats and analytics in your back pocket for a second. My gut and instinct says this election is going to be about inflation and immigration.
I mean, other things will matter. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Debt will matter. Uh, retirement and, uh, you know, the Social Security, Medicare will matter. Um, the government allocating X number of dollars. I mean, all of that matters. I mean, that goes into the devil's brew of American politics. But when you look at Biden's job approval and you look at the wrong right track that, that most Americans feel we're on, I don't want to say it's a slam dunk because I don't want to. I don't want to be a Kool-Aid drinker, and I don't want to convince you that, you know, everything is just fine. It's going to be a dogfight. We're a deeply divided nation, probably as divided as we've been since the Civil War. Um, but when I look at the data, when I look at the stats, it confirms what my instinct and gut says. I mean, do we believe that the job approval number and the right-wrong track number are reflected in the impeachment inquiry or indictments? I don't. I mean, I don't, I don't think most Americans— are that concerned with it. I mean, I think they will be interested if there's some smoking gun in one of these obstruction trials, if there's some smoking gun in the connection Hunter Biden has to jump. Obviously, that becomes a monumental issue in the campaign. But right now, as we sit in the first week of 2024, and I look at the right track, wrong track, I look at the job approval, I look at the 232 becomes 235, I'm bullish on Georgia. And that's where you could probably say, hey, I mean, I, I think you're out of line there. I'm an outlier there. I mean, most of the experts believe that Georgia's in play. I don't. But if Donald Trump starts the race with Florida, Georgia, and Ohio in his pocket, he's at 251. That puts him only needing 19 to get to 270. Pennsylvania's 19. Arizona's 11. Nevada's 6. Wisconsin's 10. Michigan's 15. Joe Biden has to draw the inside straight. Most elections, when Florida and Ohio are in play, the Republican has to draw the inside straight. I think this election, because of inflation, immigration, job approval, right track, wrong track, and the exodus from blue states to red states gives Donald Trump a significant advantage. It's not a slam dunk. We're not a 60-40 nation any longer. This is in Reagan and Mondale, where Mondale lost every state except his own. But, but I just I have a sense and a feeling that unless some monumental shoe drops in the impeachment inquiry or the legal issues that Donald Trump is embroiled in, the voters will react, and their reaction will be based on inflation who gets blamed for inflation whether it's his fault or not who gets blamed for it the guy in the big house i mean i'm not blaming joe uh, biden for all the inflation i think it's absurd to blame joe biden for all the inflation how many budgets has the republicans balanced that would be none i mean they've spent like drunken sailors there, there, there are two things that the i mean i hear a lot about there is no bipartisanship in washington and eh, there, there's some bipartisanship that, that, that they, they both parties have agreed to spend money they don't have and both parties have agreed to not enforce the immigration policy that is on the book. So I believe, and to make it a prediction roughly a year out, that Donald Trump wins the presidency in 2024. I think he dominates the primary. I, I do believe there are going to be ebbs and flows. I think you'll see gyrations in polling. Uh, obviously, the media will do what the media do. And, um, you know, we know they're not a big fan of Trump, and he's not a big fan of them. I mean, if you call the media fake news, you pick a fight, you'll probably get, you'll probably get a fight. But, but I look at the inflation, immigration. I look at the Florida, Ohio, Georgia reality, and I've got Trump. I mean, the, the odds makers have Trump at about 40%. 
I think there's better than a 50% chance that in January of 2025, Donald Trump will be sworn in as what, the 47th president of the United States. <laughs>